up y'all sup y'all welcome to another episode of we don't know her i'm katie and i'm christy and we're fucking hot guys it's like so hot and i know that every week we just start off with like our boring weather report of like we're cold or we're hot last week we were cold we were wearing sweaters we live in philadelphia it's not our fault and today it is literally 90 degrees and we're just like dying yeah we're back to the oppressive heat we are also in my apartment today so there's a lot of things working against us because we have to sit in the sweltering heat as sans fan sans fan just so we don't have any background noise my cat will probably make an appearance at some point for sure um we're just we're not super well today no but we're gonna do our best because we're here for you 100 percent. and you know what guys we're not, we don't miss episodes around this place, and um, and we do have some things to say today. We're going to be talking about the Enneagram personalities, the Enneagram personality types, if you will. Um, it is similar to any other personality uh, discovery type or similar to like discovering your attachment style or um, your love language. It's another way to kind of identify yourself and I think that's kind of what's the most interesting thing about the Enneagram is that no one else can tell you. You decide for yourself. So it's not really pigeonholing yourself and it's not saying you're good or bad. Uh, kind of like astrology. It's just like this is what it is. This is who you are. And it helps you learn the good points of you, the maybe not so great points, the growth edges. And we'll get into all that and our types. and Yeah, what we thought maybe we once were and maybe we're not that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think with any of these types of tests, it's important to note that these are not, I mean, we don't take them as gospel and we take from them what we think is useful and what we can see within ourselves. Same thing with astrology mm-hmm. or love languages. And I think that some people turn their nose up to certain tests like this because they think that they're misinformed or they're just a bunch of fluff. But I think when you look at it in terms of just, helping naming certain qualities about yourself and not in a way like you said to determine whether it's a good or a bad thing about yourself but it is important to be a little self-aware yeah and um you know as you grow those those viewpoints might change but it's just a good a good foundation to build off of I guess yeah and we're gonna get into like the the descriptions of what the types are so you can try to there's two ways to do it you can kind of like self-identify by reading through the types uh and that's a common way to do it if you're unsure you could always take there's multiple quizzes and tests and stuff like that we'll get into all of that but before we get into you know the heart of the episode let's do our little catch up and see where we're at where we're feeling how we're living um (laughs) what do you what's like going on with you oh well because we are we're unfiltered here. You know, mm-hmm. we want to be authentic. So I'm just going to authentically speak about where I'm at right now. I'm a little anxious today. Mm-hmm. I have a lot on my plate in real life. And I am feeling a little overwhelmed. I'm embarking on a trip today. It's uh, I'm going on a trip to Pittsburgh, which is five hours from here. On the way other side of PA. And PA is bigger than I think a lot of people think. It's It's very wide. Very wide. Yeah. So we're traveling, not Katie and I, but I will be traveling with my mom to go visit my brother. And, you know, I guess just to keep it brief, we're just feeling anxious because it's a long car ride. Um, I'm not necessarily very close with my family, so this is going to be a little bit outside of my comfort zone, I guess you could say. 
without going into grave detail about why I'm so anxious about it. But it's going to be a short trip. We're going um, just, you know, just to kind of reconnect and hang out for a night. And um, that on top of other things, I don't know. I really yeah. just like don't even know where to. Well, I think sometimes when you're anxious about one thing, you know, it makes your cup full and then any other drop overfill overflows the cup. So when one thing is really making you anxious or stressful or even two things, whatever, it starts to feel like then everything is more, you know, everything becomes exhausting and and stressful. And I think if, you know, if you want kind of more intel as, you know, for the listener, if you are wondering maybe why Christy's feeling that way, you could always go back and listen to um, Are You My Mom? One of our first episodes, we talked about our relationships with our mom. And if you listen to them, I think into that episode, you'll understand what Christy's feeling without her having to go into the full thing today. Yeah, I mean... I mean, I don't think she even listens to this podcast, so I will Probably just not. no. <laughs> um, so it's safe to say that we just—I have a strained relationship with her. Mm-hmm. I don't have a very close relationship with my older brother. That's really no secret. But we don't have a bad relationship. Him yeah. and I—we're just not very close. So again, just going outside of my comfort zone today. I think that I am doing it because I—a part of me wants to try to connect in some way. But on the other hand. You know, we have a lot of residual feelings from, you know, just childhood and my whole life and my current relationship with my mom. And so it is bringing up a lot of feelings and I'm just, it's, I just need to kind of get it over with. And the anxiety, you know, is always like mostly the anticipation. Like once you're in the car, you might be annoyed or frustrated or whatever, but the anxiety part of it, I think kind of subsides and then we'll ultimately probably go away fully by the time you get to Pittsburgh, see your brother, you're there for an Settling. hour, you'll you'll chill, and then it'll be fine. But the, the anticipation is the worst part of anything like that, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we're just feeling a little scattered in that sense, but I'm, I'm glad that we are, we're talking about something today at least that is very helpful for me. So even though mm-hmm. it's not even necessarily specifically related to this anxiety I think talking about this kind of stuff will help kind of recenter me in some way yeah maybe um but what about you where's your emotional landscape at I'm feeling pretty good I don't have a ton going on I feel weird right now I keep doing this thing where I feel like I'm not doing enough you know as I always kind of feel that way but extra right now because I'm on a break from school until the middle of July so I keep doing this thing where I feel like I'm not busy and I feel like I need to be getting things done with the house with something but then I remind myself like no this is your summer like take advantage of not having anything to do right now and soak it up because soon you're going to be so busy that you're going to wish you had so I'm in this weird juxtaposition of constantly reminding myself to um, intentionally slow down and not I'm somebody who always needs to keep myself busy and occupied. I'm not good at just sitting. So I've been trying to really, really do that. And that's just something that I'm always working on. Um, I think it's easier now that I have a backyard. I'll like go Mm. out there. And Christy was like, I I go out there. I sit there, particularly, ideally, if it's raining. And just try to like be present and like look at nature. Like Mm -hmm. just look. You know what's fucked up? Like after I work all day, because I work from home on my computer and on my phone, both. You know, Mm -hmm. like I'm always on a screen. Um, when I finish work and when I go outside and look like at the trees, they look digitally altered more than my computer does because my eyes are not used to seeing 
fully three-dimensional things like that all oh day. It's It honestly takes my eyes like a minute to adjust. And it's better when I wear my blue light glasses. I should. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, yeah so, so if there's anything that anyone is gathering from where Katie and I are both at, it's that we both have high-functioning anxiety, and that's 100%. just... It's well, and I, not all. I would say <laughs> we just have anxiety. We just have sometimes anxiety. Sometimes it's high-functioning. Um, sometimes we're both crippled with despair. Yes, and actually that reminds me that maybe we should do a quick little update on what we talked about last week with our update when we said we were going to go out into the world. Oh. We went to a restaurant. It was Katie's first time at a restaurant in over a year, and what a fucking letdown <laughs> what a disappointment <laughs> so basically we we found I live I you know ever since if you're if you've been listening for a while you know I bought a house I moved out into the suburbs closer to where Christy lives as opposed to in the city and um there's a whole like downtown area down there and and bars and restaurants and stuff so we figured it would be a safer bet an easier transition into the outside world to go there as opposed to Philadelphia which is like so many fucking people so we found this great place. I'm vegetarian. Christy and Ray aren't. So we found this place that had so many options for everyone. They even had non-alcoholic cocktails. I was mm. like, this is it for us. This mm-hmm. is perfect. We go there. We walk there. Well, we drive. It's storming like a goddamn bitch. We drive down there. We go up and they're like, yeah, no. You could sit outside if you want, like in the rain. They're like, we're full. Do you have a reservation? Yeah. And here's the thing is that every step leading up to this long-awaited celebration of being out in the world especially the three of us in particular Mm -hmm. like the three of us together which we haven't done um in over a year as Mm -hmm. well so we were excited to just be hanging out together and um you know getting a taste of normalcy like a nice normal like restaurant a true restaurant environment yeah because i haven't experienced it and i miss that and i think that we even just going out to dinner we weren't going to go from zero to 60 and try to do an extravagant activity together we just wanted to just hang out right i just wanted pasta and a glass of wine with my friends in a a cool air-conditioned sweet restaurant with very sex in the city exactly and that's not what we got we so we got turned down from the first place which was our, our plan mm-hmm. and it was also bullshit because they said online that they didn't take reservations so that was annoying so we leave we try another place no they're like you can sit down in like an hour if you want mm-hmm. and then another place and then ultimately there was one last resort it was a sushi restaurant the sushi sucked they had no drinks there was like one other table in there it not nah, it wasn't good bad it was... food ba- just it leak. was Bleak. <laughs> we kept we kept referring to any of our other geriatric millennials out there. <laughs> we kept referring to the movie The Santa Claus. And if anyone, this is a deep cut, so I mean, bear with me if you're not if you're not following. But there's a part in the movie when they go out to Denny's for um, it was before Tim Allen becomes a Santa Claus when he burns the turkey on Christmas Eve. Yeah, and they go to Denny's, and it's like it was the same thing. And like, <laughs> what's the kid's name? I keep wanting to. I wanted to say Kevin McAllister, but then Charlie. Charlie, Charlie, yeah. He orders, he's like all excited for like chocolate milk and they were like, oh, we're out. We don't have that anymore. And he's like, regular milk is fine. And it starts off by asking for eggnog and she's like, oh, we're out. And then he's like, oh, I'll take chocolate milk. And she's like, we're out. And he's like, regular milk is fine. That was the epitome was of our experience. It was just regular milk is fine. We just settled. That's just what it was. And you know what? We we tried our best we to did. make the best of it, but yeah. it was really hard because we didn't have a lot to work with. And also... Not for nothing, but there's very few things that are just as disappointing as, like, when you get bad food. Like, when you're amped up for good food, especially, like, when you're really ready to eat a good meal and you're excited about it, 
and you know strike one you're out strike two you're out and then by strike three when it's also just like not where you wanted to go not the vibe you were looking for Mm -hmm. and the food is bad I mean talk about mercury and retrograde it was just like and no no and no for you so you know, um, but, but you know, we got to hang out together. We got some things done. We we do. It was a worthwhile hangout, and it was you know, of course, at least we had we had bad everything other than company, so mm-hmm. it was good in that sense. Um, so you know, we won't cry about it too long. <laughs> we'll go to a real restaurant soon, but one day let's um dive into the episode. So I kind of, I guess I should just say because I think I'm gonna sound like a weirdo otherwise. Um, I like I said, I've been interested like in the enneagram. We've been talking about it for a while. Christy and I have been interested in it for a while uh I kind of got introduced to it I guess I think I had heard of it before but then when I read Chelsea Handler's um book life will be the death of me because in that book she is in therapy it's all about her journey with therapy and her therapist uses the Enneagram personality tests or types I should say to help identify and help Chelsea identify where she is and um learn a bit more about herself. And I was like, okay, well, if a therapist is using it to help her, uh, it must be legit. So I started reading into it and then got so interested that I actually did a presentation in school last year. I did a speech on the Enneagram. So I kind of have some of this information. I'm going to sound like a weirdo. I just know it. And that's why I researched it. I didn't, I'm not actually that obsessed with the Enneagram. (laughs) not Um, a nerd. But just to give anyone who's like, I've never heard of it, like literally, who is she? We don't know her. Mm -hmm. Um, So the Enneagram was, the Enneagram personality types, there's nine of them, and they were developed over the course of like the last 75 years. Basically in the 1960s, this guy like Oscar Shazo, he was a Chilean psychotherapist. He started putting together the connection between your personality and who you were as a child in utero and as a young child and how that can help kind of like your attachment style, how that can help you understand who you were innately when you were a child and that you're still that person. You still have those root emotions and desires and whatever um, and help you identify them. So um, I think the easiest thing to do would be give out. So basically the way it works is the nine personality types are grouped out into anger fear and sadness so if your gut that's how you start identifying is like which gut emotion as a kid were you likely to feel fear sadness or anger and that can help you start kind of pinpointing which number you are bear with us because there because there are so many types it may be a little maybe a little hard to follow just by listening so anyone who is interested in looking more into this I we do encourage you to um you know to look into it uh for more detail but the so just based off the groups, the first one you said was anger. Mm-hmm, and that's number one, eight, and nine. Type one is known as the reformer. And just some just some keywords to identify with that would be rational, idealistic, principled, purposeful, self-controlled, perfectionistic. Perfectionistic is, is I think, the key word also to focus on that one. Number eight within that same group is known as the challenger. Um, it's powerful, dominating, self-confident, decisive, willful, and confrontational. And that was the one that Chelsea Handler identified with. To help kind of put a visual as you're going through. So yeah. Chelsea Handler, eight, confrontational. Yeah. And when you're listening to these keywords, there is much, much more that goes along with these types. So just as you're listening, you know, see which ones feel closest to you just based mm-hmm. off of the words. And that's how you can kind of just 
start somewhere. Yeah. Um, and then nine, type nine is known as the peacemaker. So it's easygoing, self-effacing, receptive, reassuring, complacent, and agreeable. And number eight, a good example is, uh, or not, sorry, number nine, a good example of that is Obama. Obama is actually a number nine. Uh, so is the Dalai Lama. They are both nines. Like they're looking to build harmony within yep. like their internal and external environments. And um, they have certain abilities depending on how in tune they are with themselves to be able to kind of like create like a harmonious environment for Ray people. Ray is a nine too. For anyone who's in our episode with our best friend Ray, she's you know a number Ray. nine. She's anyone who knows Ray. The nicest, chillest person ever um and that's that's so that's one eight and nine yeah and those are the anger ones so again it's not saying that as a number nine peacemaker person you are just nice all the time right your root emotion is still to be angry more than fearful or sad and that's kind of why those numbers what they have in common um and then the next group is sadness which is two three and four okay so two is known as the helper they are very caring, interpersonal, demonstrative, generous, people-pleasing, and possessive. So I kind of feel like when I think of people who are twos, they, like you were saying, they're, they're the type of people that that is their, one of their main traits. Like if you were mm-hmm. to look at them and see them mm-hmm. interact with people, they're, it's like almost instinctual for them to just start seeing what they can do for other people. They're the person that's going to walk into the room and say, what can I help you with? And and not even maybe ask. They're just going to start helping. But they're also the person that, because I think a lot of people have the desire to want to help. Mm-hmm. But the difference is that when a helper isn't helping, they don't really know what to do with themselves. Like that's what they do. Mm-hmm. So, and I can't remember, um, I'll have to, I'll circle back to this. What was, who was a number two? I'm blanking on. To put like a face to a name. Yeah, I'm blanking on that, but I'll come back to that. Um, and then you said four? Three and four. Two, three, four. Yeah, so, so three is known as the achiever. They mm-hmm. are very success-oriented, very pragmatic, um, excelling, driven, and image conscious. So, and the image conscious part is because there's other numbers that can sound somewhat similar to that in the ner- in uh, wanting to be successful and driven. But number threes would never, ever, ever, ever go out of the house without looking the way that they want to look. And that doesn't mean that it has to be fully done up or something. But they have to be fully confident and they also use their image as part of their uh, place in this world. The best example of a number three is Lady Gaga. So she's a strong number three. Mm-hmm. Her image is everything. She was known for wearing meat dresses. She, she's known for giving a look. Like, that's her thing. Mm-hmm. You're never going to catch her wearing something basic or normal. I saw a picture of her out in the news the other day. She wasn't wearing pants. She was just wearing underwear and a shirt and boots. And she said, I don't need pants today. Well, that has been, like, a trend with, like, Gen Z, I think, with just wearing super, like, very extra large well, sweatshirts. Well, this wasn't even – this was just a shirt. Oh. She was just literally, like, not – it was, like, if you were just wearing underwear right now, and she was like, yes, this is my outfit. That's, like, what I go to bed I think she was hiking. I don't know. So, no, yeah, three is a good um, – that's, that's that a is, good example. Yeah. Um, and then number four, which is known as the individualist. So they are very sensitive. They can be withdrawn, dramatic, self-absorbed, and temperamental, which I know those all sound like they have negative connotations to it, but they – because they are grouped into that sadness um, – they're very, they're like romantics. They're always like longing oh, but like for what something. If we, yes, they feel that they are missing something. And a lot of it, number fours, we were talking about this before we recorded, but like 
Number fours are, um, they say that in utero, when they're literally still in utero, that they feel that connection with their mom. So when they're born and detached from their mom, they are then sent for the rest of their lives looking for that missing piece to feel connected to something or someone else. And guess who a number four is that's a celebrity that would like literally help everyone understand this so much? I mean... Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is the ultimate four. She's like... And I'm so sad and my feelings. And she's like, no, guys, I found a new one. And this is the guy. This is what's going to be my happily ever after. And yeah. like just that longing, romantic, they, sad, you know. Yeah. And I think that they also have a tendency to feel very, like they have a sense of uniqueness. Yes. And not very. necessarily in a very, like a boastful way where they are like, you know, looking down on anybody else, but they constantly feel misunderstood. Right. And they don't think that anybody could ever understand or Mm -hmm. love them pretty much, no matter what they do or no matter how the other person is. It's just this, it's just a perpetual feeling that they can't seem to fill, basically. Um, And then that would leave five, six, seven. uh, So we did two, three, four. So now we're going to move into the fear group, which is five, six, seven. Okay. So five is known as the investigator. So they are very intense, cerebral, perceptive, innovative, secretive, and isolated. So, I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory almost, too. Fives are always like, like they're, it's often working like science or tech or something like that. And a good example of a five is Steve Jobs. He's the ultimate number five. Um, they're, they're really, really smart, but they're not very sociable. They don't get along with a lot of people. Number fives, they always say that they are the first person, like, the difference is, like, a number five will go to a party, but they're probably going to turn right around and walk right back out. Like, they really don't want to be there. They have shit to get done Mm -hmm. and things to investigate. Right. Um, Number six is known as the loyalist. They are committed, very security-oriented, engaging, responsible, anxious, and suspicious. And that is... um, a good example of that one is David Letterman. So this is going to be really hard for me. When I gave my speech um, on this topic in school over fall, so you have to think, you know, we're almost 33. Most of the people in my class were freshmen in college. So mm-hmm. they're 18, 19 years old. When I tell you I got so much feedback saying that, like, some of the celebrities I used were outdated and, like, they didn't know who David Letterman was. Mm-hmm. And if you're one of those people listening right now, like, that's Bless hard you. for me. That That's hard for me. Um, if you don't know who David Letterman is, like, you should – not saying he's uh, the best, but he's iconic, so you should look into him and just, like, know who he is for your own self. But if you don't, he's somebody who is um, such a good example of a six because they're listening. They're very open to hear what everyone is saying. That does not mean that it's going to change their mind. They're going to do what they want to do and what they think is best. They don't trust authority, and they're – they have no problem going against the grain and doing something different than what everyone else is doing. Mm-hmm. And David Letterman's a really good example of that. Um, and then we come up to seven. Finally, number seven is the enthusiasts. So they are very busy, fun-loving, spontaneous, versatile, distractible, and scattered. <laughs> <laughs> so um, number seven is, this is, I think, such a good example. No matter how old you are, you'll understand this one. So sevens are super, super passionate and they're always like, no, guys, this is the real me. Like, I just figured it out. This is me now. 
it's going to change and they don't really stick with anything and it doesn't mean that they don't want to. It's just their personality. And such a good example of this is Miley Cyrus. She's a number seven. That's why every two years she almost seems to like reinvent herself. And she's like, guys, I know I've been on a journey to figure out who I am. And this time this is me. And now she's like Joan Jett or whatever she's doing. Mm -hmm. She's out there like rocking around the Christmas tree. (laughs) And she used to be like a country Hannah Montana. And then she was like swinging from the wrecking ball, naked twerking. And then she she changes all the time. Mm -hmm. She was sober for a while and just like laying low, wearing like t-shirts. And... It's not to say that she's not authentic. She actually is being so authentic, and that's just who they are. Mm -hmm. Can't help it. So if any of those um, words resonate with you more so than others, because I think that it it can be a little difficult to identify, depending on how well you know yourself, I guess, Mm -hmm. to pinpoint where you fall in the types, because I think that all of us have little... We have little bits and pieces of each one, of course. Yeah, we're all, we're all, all of them. It's just a, like, a ranking scale if you're, like, a 90% something. Right. Out, you know what I mean? Whatever. Yeah. So, again, like I said, it's not necessarily that um, these are good or bad and it makes anybody better or worse than anyone else. But because each one actually will show and explain certain even, like, recommendations for personal growth. And, like, these are, like, your strengths and your weaknesses. And there's everything. no good or bad. Um, and there's... And there's a lot of people, like, I think if you're somebody who, after you take the test and you're trying to understand, I think Googling kind of, like, there's a bunch of websites that show you celebrities, like we've mentioned, of what type they are. And it's really helpful to understand that because then you can see, like, oh, but that person's, like, they're really well-liked. Like, they're a great person. Not to say that they're not. um, So I think it just shows how multifaceted people are and that we're everything. And the other important part of this is, like I said, it's a wheel, right? A circle of one through nine. So whatever number you most closely identify with, there's going to be a number on either side of it, whatever one, that is your secondary, where they call it your wing. So before we go into that kind of, let's talk about what our types are, and then I can talk about my wing. If I don't know if you figured out what your wing is, but we can talk about that and how that really, like, how that works. So I'm so curious because Christy and I, like we said, we identified our Enneagram types a while ago, probably a year or two ago. I actually have the exact date oh, that I wrote of a note. <laughs> because I so here's the thing. I have a long semi long winded story as to my journey with figuring out what my type was, like from the first time I heard about it up until now. So it was June twenty fifth, twenty nineteen. And so almost exactly two years ago. Yes. And um Katie had told me about the Chelsea Handler book. And so that's kind of where it started, at least with my ex- like uh, exploration of the Enneagram. I read it. And I even when you recommended the book to me, it wasn't necessarily with the focus of the Enneagram. It was more so just that you thought yeah, it was I a just really good Chelsea book. Handler, yeah. So I read it. And um, that was a big part of her self-discovery. And then I started looking into it because it just so happened that at that point in my life, I was in a very transitional phase as I feel like I am most of the time but it was a very tumultuous time because it was in the wake of a really explosive breakup and it was a relationship that I was in that I had put a lot of my identity into like I felt like I was investing a lot of myself in ways that were not authentic to who I was and therefore I was just like I felt super lost and I needed any type of life preserver to grab onto to try to figure out like, okay, I need to ground myself. So the Enneagram was introduced to me and it really helped 
kind of pull me out of it in certain ways like that in addition to other things but um when I was reading about through like through the types I initially identified with a number four just because I think also being a cancer as my my zodiac sign cancers are also known for just being very emotional and mm-hmm. um like introspective in the way that they they have a lot of feelings, but they have a tough exterior. So I think that I just kind of associated that with a four and I was drawn to that because it was like, oh, well, I know that I'm really emotional. I know that I am somebody who, you know, especially like in the the peak of a breakup, I'm feeling very much like I'm yearning for the relationship feeling again. So I think being that type of person, I was immediately drawn to the four. So I wrote down at the time, just like key points that I, I related to that was, you know, fours, like we said, they are the romantics. They're the ones that feel like they're longing for something. They always have a constant yearning for something that's missing, um, et cetera, et cetera. So they also hold on to the past a lot. And I think that they kind of get looped into this cycle of reminiscing on like all of these good times not even just in relationships but I think probably just in their life because it's like it's the sadness group you know so they're kind Mm -hmm. of always just thinking about better times and what can I be looking for that will make me feel the way that I did in this instance when those memories may not even be true you know Um, they're very sensitive like I said they're very temperamental I was known for being very moody because I think that I I think that that was usually what people would tell me about myself like I people would always tell me how moody I was and I guess I just didn't even really realize it until I started to hear it more and more and then I started to believe it I did feel like I had a chronic feeling of being misunderstood not only by my romantic partners but like by my family and other people in society and I did feel like I was just looking for something to um, fulfill that, to fill that void of whatever I thought was missing. And the other thing about fours is that they tend to, because they're constantly pining for something, they also will kind of mask their feelings and cope with them with, I mean, simply put, drugs and alcohol, which is something that I did for a majority of my, I would say, late teens through my 20s of pretty much just being in denial about some things and using partying as a way to kind of escape and just deal with it that way. So why are you, you no longer think you are, you no longer identify as a four? No. And here's the reason why. So I, last night, I just, I had never actually taken, you know, a quote unquote official test, like an Enneagram test to Mm -hmm. determine what type I was. But I did last night just for shits and gigs. And I just wanted to see what would come up. And I actually was reading through. And so after I took the test, I actually came up as a nine and with a wing of one. And Katie's already looking at me sideways as if she doesn't believe me because I knew that she I was believe, going to No, I believe, to I believe that, that not, you got that 100. I don't believe that you're lying. I don't. I'm listening. So as I was reading more into the four or into the nines and then also just reflecting back onto the time when I strongly identified as a four, although I do have aspects of the fours that are very close to who I am, I feel like the general concept of the four still doesn't necessarily 
relate to who I really am. Like it's also, they're also being known for being quite dramatic and for, yes, feeling misunderstood, but at the same time using that feeling to almost deter them from trying to make connections with people. And it's as if nobody will ever understand me. So there's no point in me even trying to be myself or to show people who I really am because they're not going to understand me anyway. And I think that that's kind of where I disconnect from it. So as I was looking into a nine, which I will get into later on, but like I said, when I first found out about the Enneagram, I was in the peak of, I was actually like at the tail end of what I would consider point blank, like an emotionally abusive relationship. And it was very manipulative. And it was, I can say that now after being out of it for over a year where I can look at it very objectively, and with a much more grounded sense of who I really am. Because when I was in that relationship, I really put a lot of my authenticity and my needs aside for another person into in order to accommodate what they needed. And I was willing to sacrifice a lot of myself for that person. And it just snowballed into being this extremely toxic relationship. And then also being in a previous relationship where I felt like after reflecting on it, I was pretty hard on myself. And I think that on one hand, it was good to take accountability for my shortcomings in my seven-year relationship. But I I feel like I was just getting a lot of my identity from my relationships and it wasn't really based on who I was. I feel like identifying as a four was mostly based off of like what I, who I thought that I was in a relationship, which is not who I really am. And I think that, yes, I have had a longing to find a piece of me that is missing, but I think that that is more related to the fact that I am adopted. I don't have a blood relative here. So I think that that aspect of my identity will always feel like it's not completely fulfilled. But it's not in a sense of feeling like I'm missing, like I don't feel like I need to find somebody to rescue me or to fill that void for me now. Like I I think that that's what I was looking for in the past. And now as an individual who is, who has done more work on themselves and has made all of these revelations or had all of these revelations about who I really am over the last year that I really I more so identify now as a nine and well I think I think an important thing to note is that your Enneagram type doesn't change you may have taken it at a different mindset and therefore didn't take the questions or didn't look at it as authentically and reflect on it as who you were as a child. You were taking the test of who you are now. And that's an important distinction to make for anyone. Like when you're answering most of the Enneagram questions, they will, um, it's important to think like not just how you answer right now, how you would have answered as a kid or how you innately felt because that is, that can get muddled. So if you're taking it as how you're feeling now, that's not going to be your authentic self. Um, I think that, and that's important. So it's not necessarily that you went from a four to a nine mm-hmm. be, over the course of a year. You didn't take the test authentically or didn't take, I didn't identify authentically initially, which I think can happen for a lot of people. And I even off the bat, when I read the descriptions, I thought I was a six, mm-hmm. like a full six. I'm not. And I'll kind of get into my, my 
you know, my numbers after this. But, mm-hmm. um, and the test is what identified me as a seven, which mm-hmm. I really am. So um, I think that the test is helpful. I'm just curious if, do you think, does nine feel right to you? So I'll read a couple of things that when I was looking more into the nines that make much more sense for what feels right to me, like in my soul, like whatever. Because like I said, I think that, yes, I have aspects of a four for sure. But the things about the nine that I read were that, um, so I'm quoting from a website off of the Enneagram Institute just for clarity. But um, so key points. So they're called the peacemaker because they are more devoted to the quest for internal and external peace for themselves and others. They are typically spiritual seekers who have a great yearning for connection and the cosmos as well as with other people. So they... Uh, they maintain their peace of mind just as they work to establish peace and harmony in their world. And they, it's funny because, because they are, they have a tendency to retreat into their own minds and their emotional fantasies. They can sometimes misidentify themselves as fives and sevens or the head types or as twos and fours, which are the feeling types. Mm -hmm. They, when their instinctual energies are out of balance, they can use them against themselves and kind of clog up their own psyche in a way, and they can feel very stagnant and just very stuck. But when they are in balance with their energy and with themselves, they they things flow much better for them. Like, they just... It, it's just much easier. So you know what? I think it kind of sounds like, and you and I have talked about this before, but, like, there's an unrealized... Number mm-hmm. and a realized number. I think you might have been, you are an unrealized nine where mm-hmm. like you have not yet achieved your full capabilities as a nine. Mm-hmm. You're working on it. Yeah. And this is what's so fascinating about the Enneagram is that like we said in the beginning of this, no one can identify you other than you. So even like there was a, sto- a story that um, Chelsea Handler, she did a documentary or like a a show or I don't know no, no it was a podcast sorry a podcast along with the book she interviewed her mm-hmm. therapist oh right and her therapist was telling stories about like he's done conferences and stuff for the Enneagram and different number groups and stuff like that um and he was saying how there was like this one guy who was like in his 70s or whatever and he was like super withdrawn and everyone thought he was grumpy and miserable and his whole family was like oh you're an eight you're a challenger like you're so confident and he was like no I'm not mm-hmm. like that's not me at all and sometimes the way that other people perceive you is so different than who you really are. Um, so, and I think that now because you have been in relationships for most of the time that I've known you over the last 15 years, um, that's the unrealized part. So mm-hmm. now that you're at a point where, and even to me, like you never came across as a nine. Right. But a nine with a wing of one makes, and the and knowing, like thinking about it through of like, that's your capability. It's just like you haven't been able to get there because right. of your relationships. I think that makes sense. And I even like Ray, I don't know that 10 years ago I would have said Ray was a nine. Right. Now, 100% is a nine. And it's it's hard because when you don't even know who you are, if you don't really know yourself very well enough, because the other thing about it is that um, they can, I guess with nines in particular, they can, without realizing it, um, 
one of the aspects about it that was interesting was just, I guess that they find it easier to kind of point out how other people are, but can't really take mm-hmm. a look at who they really are. Yeah, so that's their growth edge. Right. For and them, is to is to actually um, do the work on themselves and not fix everybody else. Yes, and it's like uncomfortable for them. And then the other thing that I just wanted to point out that was just for you in particular, just for you because you know me so well, is just they can they can try to find peace prematurely by minimizing a situation and Mm -hmm. trying to find a simple solution to it Mm -hmm. or they can just completely just be in denial the whole time and I think that's why when I'm reflecting back on that time in my life especially in my relationships and the time in that that other relationship that I was talking about um, that was very explosive and toxic I do remember at least with a lot of conflict within those relationships a lot of times it was it did feel like well why can't you just do this and then the problem will be solved like yeah and I think the other thing like we mentioned earlier like when we're going when you're going through the groups each of them a big self-identifier is the emotional aspect mm -hmm. of like how did you feel as a kid angry sad fearful Christy and I again throwback we did our anger episode in the beginning of the podcast where we learned um, or, or we both exhibited the older we got anger was our go-to emotion that doesn't mean it was our go-to innately when we were born For you, I think that makes sense because you are more likely to get angry and then cry because you're angry, not get sad and get Mm -hmm. angry because you're sad. Number fours are sad. Mm -hmm. Um, So to be in an anger type, I think makes more sense for you. And even for me, like I'm somebody who um, I definitely would say that I go to anger. However, that's not actually what I did as a kid. I... I learned, like, I got angry the older I got, but I innately was afraid. Mm-hmm. I am I am one of those people who's, I'm afraid, I, I'm not a risk taker. I can't, like, I wasn't a kid who could, like, do a cartwheel and, like, play a sport. Like, I'm, I am afraid of a lot of things, and that's my crest to bear. Mm-hmm. And um, that was helpful even for me to identify as a seven of, like, right, because sevens are fearful. Um, you know, that makes sense for me, because then you go into anger of the eight, nine, one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the last stop before the anger. And I thought for a while that, so at, so I'm going to give a little, I guess I should talk about the sevens a little bit, but as I kind of said about Miley Cyrus, like as such a good example of a seven, that explains me. Mm-hmm. I have gone through, like, I can't even say Multiple. how many phases, uh, career decisions, uh, fashion choices, hair colors, Everything about me changes. I could watch a movie and it will change everything about me. I will change the way I start dressing. When I watched Across the Universe, my mm-hmm. whole life changed. Like I I watched Center Stage. I did ballet in my kitchen every day for like months. Like I But as the outsider being your friend, like I can say that you definitely were like I could see it as like you were definitely passionate with no like with anything that you devoted your time and energy to mm-hmm. and you were it didn't feel disingenuous in the sense that no, I felt very, like you were yeah. trying to put on a show. It was no. more so just like, this is like the next, I didn't find what I was looking for here, so I'm mm-hmm. going to now do this. I mean, I believe it yeah, so much in my soul. Um, and that's why I relate to Miley Cyrus and why people, when they judge her of like, oh, okay, Miley, let's see who you're going to be next week. It's like, no, that sh- this isn't a shtick. And I think what was so helpful for me as a seven was I heard – um, on Chelsea Handler's podcast when they were talking about it. And the podcast is also called Life Will Be the Death of Me if you mm. want to listen to it. It's not currently out. It was like a limited thing. Um, but when she had her therapist on, he was talking about the sevens that they met. And I've told Christy this story. But like 
he said that the seven came up to this person came up to him after the conference and was like oh my god this was so fascinating I have this great idea I want to write a book about the Enneagram number and I want it to be like also like a podcast and I want to do like I want to have you on as a guest and they were just going on and on and the therapist was like that sounds amazing like I would love to do it and the guy just started laughing and was like it's never gonna happen the guy the number seven he was like oh none Mm. of that's ever gonna happen and he was like the therapist didn't understand and the seven was like I'm a seven I'm all ideas. I'm all I'm all enthusiasm, no follow through. And that is me. And when I heard that, it made me feel like, oh, I'm not broken. Like for so much society tells you that like you have to pick a thing and stick with it. And if you're like, don't be a quitter. Don't mm-hmm. be a quitter. And I wouldn't say I'm a quitter. Like I stick through certain things. I stick with friends. I stick with uh, this podcast. Like I stick with certain things, but I'm I will only do it if I'm passionate about it. And when the passion is gone, I'm out. I will not stick through something that I don't feel deeply. And that could change. Like I've mentioned on the podcast before, I move up and move to California and then up and move back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it it just whatever comes to me comes to me. Um, and I think that was really helpful for me to understand. And they said that the other thing about a seven is that like the absolute worst thing that could ever happen to a seven is like that they broke their leg and they have to stay home by themselves for like an extended period of time. And they could want to do something, but you can't. Mm-hmm. You have to stay home. That is my nightmare. Like I said in in other episodes over the course of COVID, I've learned that to stay home, but that is was very hard for me. Um, and my wing number, how yours is a, is a number one, where for anyone, let, you know, who's new to this, so Christy is the peacekeeper number nine with a wing of a one, which is perfectionist. And if you have listened to the podcast, you know Christy is a perfectionist. Like you, that's where our play, that's what we're always talking about. And is, you wouldn't even, and there's so many things behind the scenes too that no one even knows about as far, like you know about it because yeah. I talked to you about it, but just in terms of like how we present ourselves mm-hmm. and like you and I both share that quality. So like we try to keep each other in check in the way that it's like somebody does have to stay on earth. But at the same time, we both have that tendency to be like, it just, if it doesn't feel, and it doesn't mean perfect in the sense that there are no flaws, but I mean, sometimes. I think for you, it's like your vision of what you envision it to be. Right. And it needs to meet your vision. And Mm -hmm. for me, it needs to feel completely authentic. Like if it doesn't feel, it doesn't have to be necessarily perfect. Mm -hmm. It needs to feel us and Um, and you wouldn't know by looking at like our videos and our posts, you'd be like, they seem to not care at all, but we actually really do. Um, and so those are your wings. So that's why perfectionism reigns true for you. Um, so my seven, which is the enthusiast, I'm very enthusiastic. And my secondary is six, which is the loyalist. Mm. Six is, like I said, David Letterman, if you get that or not, suspicious, doesn't trust authority, is always like, Why? Like, okay, I'll do it, but why? Mm-hmm. Will not go along with the group, does not like when everyone else goes along with the group, has no problem being like, this is what I want to do, and I'm going to go ahead and do this. Um, and my growth edges in that are that, you know, to be more trusting and to not constantly be defensive with authority or when somebody tells me to do something, it's my gut reaction to say, fuck you. I have to learn that. And as a seven, my my lesson in this life is to stick things through mm-hmm. and to it's okay to change but I can't just quit so easily sometimes I have to stick through a moment of boredom I can't just run away yeah and I would say that my growth edges for being a newly discovered nine which is kind of it actually even just 
now identifying as a different type because even identifying as the four, it was like, yeah, this all makes sense logically on paper to me, but for some reason it still just didn't feel like, yes, that is mm-hmm. me. And the more that I was reading about the nine, it was like, this makes much more sense for me, especially now that I am trying to recover from being somebody who's been in denial for so long um, about who I am and what my life was. But my lessons that I'm learning now are to be assertive, um, not aggressive. I'm not naturally an aggressive person, but being assertive in standing up for myself and not and not sacrificing so much of myself to please other people because because being the peacemaker, you don't want to have conflict. You want everybody to just come together and get we had, along. We had a conversation about that earlier this week. And I right. said to you, I was like, you, th- no, but this is what's best for you. Fuck what other people feel. You have to do what's best for you. And it's it's that's my, that's my downfall in a way is yeah. where sometimes I want to – I'd rather avoid a problem than have conflict, especially within – Even with like our toxic friendship that we had right. that we've talked about, for sure. With people who I'm close with, that's really hard because it's like if I'm stuck in the middle and like when we were in that friendship – I think deep down it was pretty difficult for me because I was like, it would be so great if we could all just get along. Like, if we could all just harmoniously work together. And it triggered together. me as a seven. I was always like, why the fuck is everyone going along with this bad plan? Mm-hmm. Like, I will not. I shan't. This is something that, like we said, it's not something that is going to change your life. But for each of us, it made us feel more understood. It made us understand things about ourselves that I don't think we would have otherwise and even understand things about other people Mm -hmm. I've it's so fun like even a thing to do like at parties or whatever I've done this with I did this in my bridal shower I sat down and started telling people the Enneagram types and was like what do you think you are what do you think you are I think it's something that's really interesting and it can only be informative it can't be you know there's no bad that can come of it so I think look up the types if you can't self-identify it doesn't hurt to take a test it could provide more clarity like it did for both Christy and I Hello, Boots. And um, I think that it's it's just going to be – it's something that can really help you understand yourself, understand your friends and your partners. So, And the understanding of the other people I think also helps because I think that we tend to, just as human beings, we tend to look at other people and perceive however it is that we are – receiving their behavior their demeanor their attitude and then internalizing that and making it into something else and you may be internalizing that as something that is not at all close to what they're trying to portray or who they are so I think understanding certain aspects of other people just in very black and white terms it's helpful to then be a little bit more empathetic and not so quick to judge and and write people off because it's like oh you're just this way the same way people would do with astrology mm-hmm. they're like oh you're a cancer oh you're a leo oh you're you know what i mean it's just another thing to know to be like oh that helps me understand right um so take with that what you will i think it's really interesting and definitely something we've used to help get to know ourselves and that you could use for sure before we go and hit the road literally and physically um let's do our diamonds of the week which is a bright spot in a dark week what made us happy what brought us joy um i will say my diamond's pretty quick i'm just gonna say my diamond is um Little Kathy. So, Little Kathy Hilton. Little Kathy Hilton. Uh, She is on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. You might know her. her, I don't know. Like, her fucking kid is Paris Hilton. I don't know if you've heard heard of her. I've heard of her. She is now on the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills because her sister Kyle Richards has been on it forever and her other demon of a sister Kim was on it before. So, she, the things that happened in this week's Real Housewives of Beverly Hills that made me love Kathy are that she drank a Red Bull thinking, well, not 
she thought it was a soda. She had never heard of a Red Bull. Like, she didn't (laughs) know what it was. So she drank a Red Bull. She put eardrops in her eyes. She slept until 2 p.m. on a cash trip and skipped out on the activities. She pulled a prank on everyone that led to a lot of drama. Mm -hmm. She um, wore big bear slippers. She, not Sutton's, she was just wearing big bear slippers uh, at another time. They were teddy bears, though, not like furry. Like, they were like (laughs) teddy bears hugging her feet. She's just a treasure and a delight and a joy, and I'm so happy for her to be here. And it's just giving me life. Like, Beverly Hills feels rejuvenated, alive, renewed. I Not since, truly, since the junk boat of, you don't know what I go through every night. Oh, my God. I haven't I felt love- something like this. So <laughs> truly, that was quite a moment. It or really was. are people doing coke in your bathroom? Oh, that, that same was night. iconic. It was the same night. Iconic. Um, so yes, that was a, that was that is quite a diamond, and that's a diamond every week because now we're in the on, new season. The diamond that keeps on giving. Um, I guess my diamond would just be that, in line with what we talked about in the beginning of this episode, in terms of stepping out into the world. Katie and I both, well, I individually and collectively with you and Ray have some really fun trips planned Mm -hmm. for the summer and we are, I'm taking one trip in particular in the summer that is going to be a solo excursion. I'm going to, I won't reveal it quite yet. I'll wait till I get closer to the trip, but this is going to be something that I've been wanting to do. I've never, I've traveled alone before, but usually to visit other people, not necessarily taking a trip for myself by myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm going through all the stops, you know, I'm, I'm renting an Airbnb by myself and I'm, I'm doing a whole thing. So it may not sound super extravagant to some people, but just in, and also in line with sharpening my growth edges as a nine, I want to be more present and not just drift away into nothingness and try to brush everything under the rug. I want to be very present with myself and that's what I intend to do. And so the diamond is that I finally just, I have everything booked. Everything is booked for my trip, for our trip. Yep. And now all we have left to do is just look forward to the days that they come. Um, And I somehow am not completely broke which is also a diamond on top of that I don't know how that happened but well a whole year of not spending money on anything we'll do that for you truly a blessing Um, all right well y'all I hope that you enjoy this we're gonna hit the road and um you can feel free to follow us on Instagram at we don't know her pod you could send us a dm with your thoughts and feelings you could head over to iTunes rate subscribe and review that would be fantastic and uh you could also email us at we don't know her pod at gmail.com to book to have us on your podcast to be on our podcast share your thoughts and feelings whatever you gotta do i love this more like gentle approach you're taking thank you yeah i think that we were coming I just off don't a little care aggressive at first. i just don't care anymore it doesn't matter how what approach i take nobody listens to me so why does it matter okay well love well, you guys see you on the next one peace bye